0: Thank you all so much for worshiping. Thank you for giving to the Lord's work. And I hope you have a Bible. And if you do, I'd love for you to open up to John's Gospel, Chapter 1. Uh, we're going to read verses 29 through 39 uh, and keep your Bibles open to there. We'll be reading some more of Chapter 1 and, and really walking through um, the early part of the Gospel of John as we continue uh, our this new series, We Believe. And I'm going to be talking about a very important um, subject today. And, and we're going to have a little fun up front uh, poking fun at myself and and maybe we can poke fun at each other a little bit. Uh, But before that, I want to give God time with his word. Chapter 1, verse number 29. uh, John the writer tells us about John the Baptist who was preparing the way for Jesus and the scripture says, the next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, behold or look the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, after me comes a man who is preferred before me, for he was before me, or he's higher than me. I did not know him, but that he should be revealed to Israel. Therefore, I came baptizing with water. And John bore witness, saying, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and he remained upon him. I did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and testified that this is the Son of God. Again, the next day, John stood with two of his disciples, and let, looking at Jesus as he walked, he said, Behold, the Lamb of God. And the two disciples heard him speak, and they followed Jesus. Then Jesus turned and, said, and seeing them following him, said to them, What do you seek? And they said to him, Rabbi. Where are you staying? He said to them, come and see. And they came and they saw where he was staying. And they remained with him that day. No, it was about the 10th hour so they stayed the rest of the day listening and talking to Jesus. We're gonna have a good time with this text today. And and I wanna tell you, um, I wanna talk to y'all about something up front here that I think y'all can relate to. If not, you can just point at me and laugh or keep those. Keep the laugh to yourself for now. Um, uh, there, there's this funny thing uh, about me that I think is a universal human nature, um, uh, human trait, but, but I want to run it by y'all uh, to, to see what y'all think and see if you agree with me. Um, maybe it's just me, but I have a hunch that it, it, at least some of you can relate to, and potentially all of you might can relate. Um, now, I'm putting myself out there, kind of it's a really vulnerable thing to do. I do this every once in a while because I, I trust y'all, and I think sometimes it makes for good, uh, a good way to relate to each other and also see what God is trying to talk to us about. Um, and, and yeah, it kind of exposes some things about me, but maybe it exposes some things about all of us. Um, so, I have this tendency, maybe it's just me, but I think y'all can, y'all can relate. I have this tendency to be against or opposed to certain things without having a good reason. Uh, I, I have this this tendency that if it doesn't fit to how I fit into how I already see and process and experience the world, I don't even give it a chance. But I also have this 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 thing that sometimes I'm so for things, I'm such a fan of things, or I'm so in favor of things that I cannot see the flaws, or I can't admit that there's anything wrong potentially with those things or those beliefs. Now, can anybody relate to me there? Now, maybe you don't have this problem, but I bet you're married to someone that has this problem. Uh, and, and, And maybe, you know, maybe you can't see this in the mirror, but I bet that your spouse or your kids or your parents or your friends... Can see this in the mirror, and the reason why I know this about myself is because people have told me that I have this problem all my life. So, and, and I'm aware of it. I'm not. I'm not so naive. Now, uh, uh, here's what I know. You might not want to admit this about yourself, but and maybe you don't even realize it about yourself. Uh, but, but, but part of me um, has resisted bringing this up because it kind of blows my cover, and, and it really brings down the house of cards that kind of I build around myself. And, and, and uh, it may not be the case for all of the things that that I oppose or I'm, I'm not willing to try or everything that I'm a fan of. Uh, but and especially not serious or moral issues. But when it comes to trivial, incidental things, uh, for a lot of us, for most of us, the entire background of why we dislike something or why we like something stems from this place. We've got a predetermined frame of mind, and and if something doesn't fit into that, you know, that framework, we just don't even give it a chance. Or we've already, we see the world a certain way, and as long as things kind of fit into that mold, we say, come on in. Now, a lot of the things that we say we don't like, we've never tried. Uh, We don't even hear, we haven't even listened to what they're, you know, even about. Uh, And a lot of the things that we do like, um, you know, we, we, or we give interest to it just kind of because they kind of are in the periphery of what we already, you know, believe and what we already like and how we've been, been raised. And, and some of the things that we're against, they pose no threat to us at all. And some of the things that we're for, you know, we know if we were really being honest, we would admit that they're not perfect. But again, that's just kind of how we are. We like things and dislike things because we kind of make stuff up as we go. Now, I'm not talking about serious things. I'm talking about the things that make us kind of quirky and make us unique. But nonetheless, we make a big deal about. Uh, for instance, um, I'm pretty much the person that if, that if I didn't get exposed to it, and I'm kind of making a caricature of myself, but I, most of you know me enough to say this is probably true. I'm the person that if I wasn't introduced to it before I was like 10, I'm probably not gonna even give it a chance. Um, and now I, I'm embellishing a bit, but really, you know, this, if something was pressed into my mind way back, I'm probably still gonna keep it around and probably gonna believe that strongly and, and, and like that or, or dislike that. And that sounds pretty horrible of me, but, but at least I'm aware of it. Um, now, there are some exceptions. I've opened up to some new ideas. I've, I've tried some new food over the years, um, but not many. Uh, sometimes I watch new things on TV, but not often. Um, but, but there are times where I say things like, oh, I don't like that. But the real answer is, I've never tried it, and I'm not going to. Now, have you ever said that to somebody? Oh, I don't like that. But the real answer is, never tried it, Not going to try it. Don't really care to try it. But my response is going to be, oh, I don't like that. Or maybe you've said, oh, that won't work. You're watching somebody or somebody saying, hey, you should do it this way. And you respond, oh, that won't work. And not because you don't, you you know that it won't work. It's just because you've never done it that way. And the way you've been taught to do it is a certain way. And you're only going to do it your way. And you're not going to listen to someone else's way. So your response is, oh, that's not going to work. Even if it might, you don't want to give it a chance. Now, I'm putting myself out there to make fun of, for y'all to make fun of, I, I think y'all know what I'm talking about, and some of you, again, are married to the pieces of work like me, and some of you are the piece of work, right? Um, but, but we're all friends here, so it's okay. Um, people say, Justin, you should watch this show, you should try this food, you should check this out, and I'm thinking, you know, I don't think I can. And, and they say, yeah, it's really easy, and, and then I'm thinking, honey, it's just not that easy. It just doesn't work, doesn't work that way with my brain. Um, but, uh, uh, you know, I think a lot of us, we have good reasons for being the way that we are, but but if you kind of say those reasons out loud, they don't really hold water. Um, and I'm aware of it. For instance, sometimes I pretend to listen to people talk about stuff that I don't care about, and I think I do a pretty good job at pretending. <laughs> no, I, I, I've gotten better over the years. Um, but through the years, you know, I've been invited to people's homes um, to, to, to eat and, and family things, and I go to people's homes and eat. And I don't want to be rude, and I know I'm a big baby for not eating but five things. So I will... I don't want to upset the host and I don't want to upset people. So what I'll do is I'll, 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 I'll hold my nose and I'll eat the food and you don't taste it. And now, again, that's a crazy—it might be crazy, but I'll do that because I don't want to offend people, right? I, I've been over to people's homes, you know, especially when I got married and been, went to people's homes. Or as a pastor, you know, I'm, I'm visiting people, and they say, hey, you should eat this. And I'm like, oh, I don't want to eat that. You know, and I'm like, I can't be rude. I can't say I don't eat that because I'm, that makes me weird. And so I'm just going to hold my nose. Now, I don't want to give your kids bad advice. Kids, you should try new foods, and you, should, you probably would like them. But if you're like me um, and, and you don't want to try new foods, just hold your nose, chew it well, and, and it'll be over in no time. I promise you. Um, yeah, what are we even doing right um but there are other ways we're like this, aren't there? Um, there are things that people are interested in, lifestyle choices they make that don't harm us or offend our beliefs in any way, but we just don't give them a chance. We're not even going to consider if they have a thing, to have a leg to stand on. We remark about things being a waste of money that we're just not interested in. Um, you know, hey, that's a silly use of time, even though we waste our time on other stuff, right? Uh, we, we, we say that people that have certain hobbies, we're like, well, why do you do that? And, and, and again, we're, we're just like we are, and we just kind of have a big opinion about things, even when we make... Maybe shouldn't sometimes it's a family thing you're raised a certain way we're a generational thing a cultural thing um, you know maybe your parents you know uh, tried to get you to be interested in what they liked and you thought that was dumb right you told your parents that that's old I don't care about it and, and maybe your kids try to get you to into what they're into and then you roll your eyes and think well that's dumb I, I'm not into that um, but but who knows you know who knows we may like it but we just don't give it a chance um, you might be the outlier. Maybe you're someone that's open to everything. You try everything. You listen to everybody with, with, with great attention and with great interest. Um, but I think most of us, at least in some areas, our minds are already made up and we're just not gonna change. And as we get older, we get less likely to change, right? Um, Now, it it may be regarding something like food, entertainment, something very silly, very trivial. It may be a a more involved social thing, a hobby that you have, and it it may be opinions you have about how the world works, uh, opinions you have about money, opinions you have about politics, opinions you have about family traditions, right? And and you may say, Justin, you know, I I hear you about the food and the TV and and the hobbies, but, you know, my politics, they're not just my opinion. they're the right way, or my my you know the way I see the world, the way I understand money, the way I do things is my family. You know you're 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 dealing with sacred stuff there, but you can't compare not trying ranch dressing to, to hey I've got a certain political view that I'm not willing to listen to somebody else about. You can't compare those things, but I think I can, and I'm actually going to. And the reason why I'm doing this is I want you to see something: the origin of our passions for or against something comes from the same place. Now, I'm not saying there aren't some things that are more serious than others. I'm not saying that. And I'm not saying that there aren't good reasons to have a certain opinion that you have and, and there aren't, maybe your opinion is the right way. I don't know. But I just want you to see that the origin for those passions comes from the same place. You like what you like because to you, it's personal. The reason why you like what you like is because there's a personal reason, isn't there? That you were raised a certain way. You were brought up in a certain environment. There was something invested in you and something impacted you. The reason why you're against certain things is because you were brought up a certain way and those certain dislikes were ingrained into you and impacted into you, right? The reason why you are for what you're for, the reason why you're against what you're against, and I'm I'm not talking about dismissive, yeah, I like that or no, I don't care for that. I'm talking those stances that you take where you are super passionate, you double down, heels in the ground, this is what I like and this is what I don't like, and I'm not budging. And it might be from what you eat, it might be how you vote. and, And again, there's a whole lot of stuff in between there, isn't there? It might be the way your family does things and how you think that is as sacred as anything else. But the reason why you dig your heels in the ground, the reason why you like what you like, and the reason why you dislike what you dislike is because it's personal, right? When you love something and you're unapologetically in favor of it, or when you are so against something you are fervently, you know, outright opposed to it, the reason you have those strong convictions is because it's personal to you. The reason it's hard to see anything that might be odd about our beliefs or wrong with how our family does things or how we know we we like things is because we were raised in an environment and those convictions were forged. And the reason why you hold certain understandings of money and politics, it's because they were ingrained into you or the way you've experienced life, you've understood that there's no other way to do it. The way you deal with your money, the way you vote, the way you see the world, that you've experienced a life that says it can't work another way. There's no way that we can do, any, do it any other way. And you're passionate about it because you know from experience, you know from personal investment that that's how it's got to be. Now, this might be from the way you set the table for your family dinners to the way that you operate your life on a professional level. And there's so many things in between, right? It might be from the things you collect and are super interested about that nobody else cares about to the way you raise your kids. The reason why you are so in favor of or against the things that you are in favor of or the things that you're against is because it's personal to you. And you've got a good reason. The reason why you like what you like, the reason why you dislike what you dislike is mostly, most likely comes from your personal experiences across your life. Our senses, our emotions are so impacted by certain things throughout our lives that we become so personally invested and defined by them. Y- y'all know what I mean by personal don't you? Of course you do. Think about how silly serious you can get about food. You know you won't eat it unless it's made like the way your mama or your grandma made it, right? And there, yeah, that's silly and immature. But not to you. To you, it's hey, there's only one way to make this and one way to taste it, right? And if it's not the way it was, I'm not gonna give it a chance. Think about how enthusiastic you are about your favorite TV, music, or movies, right? And and it left it. It made you who you are, right? And the reason why you are so enthused about it is because it means something to you. Think about how passionate you are about your family traditions. Think about how passionate you are about your politics and your hobbies, things that you invested your life in and your money in. It's a big deal to you, isn't it? All of these things, from lighthearted to heavy topics, we all have ideas, beliefs, interests, that are personal to us because our experience with something has left us impacted at our core. You are who you are, and those things are part of you. Those little quirks that people roll their eyes at or think that's silly or that's immature or that's, you know, you're bigger than that or you're grown-up, you should change. They're things that you just can't really budge on, right, and you might laugh about it, but deep down you're thinking, you yeah, know, I'm not going to change, and I don't care. People think I'm crazy. I'm not going to do anything differently because this is how I've always done it. Because something impacted you. Something made you who you are. And, and again, it's personal. And, and even, here's the, here's the big kicker. Even when we're presented with things that legitimately challenge us, we struggle seeing it any other way because of what we've tasted and seen for ourselves. Right? I never forget, and, and again, this is completely nerdy, just a moment, but it's okay, y'all can understand. I remember, uh, I've, I've every, time, every once in a while, I'll say, hey, you should watch Star Wars, y'all know me. I'm like, you should watch Star Wars. And, and Lindsay and I, first date, we went to see Star Wars. And, I, and, and for a minute, while we were watching the movie, I'm thinking, she probably thinks this is the craziest thing that, ha, ha, that has, you could ever spend your time watching. And then I went back to thinking, man, this is the greatest thing I've ever watched in my life. And I'd watched it seven times at that point. So it was, uh, you know, I was, I was already, I was too far gone. But for a minute, I thought, this movie might not be for everybody. But then I was like, yeah, if you don't like it, something's wrong with you, right? I didn't tell her that. And she's okay. She's watched the other ones. But isn't it true that when you're passionate about something, that even when somebody brings a legitimate fault or a legitimate, is this okay? Or are you okay with that? Or haven't you seen this? Even when somebody shines the light on that wound or that weak spot or that flaw, you struggle seeing it any other way, don't you? It's like when you get married and, and, you know, your family does things and their family does things and, and, and you know, you, you, the, the other person, your, your spouse says, hey, you know, it's really not okay that y'all do this or this isn't really the only way you should do it or this isn't the only way it can be done. And for a minute you think, mm, maybe they're right. But then you're like, I don't care because I'm right and they're wrong. That's just how it works, Right? Because your mama said or your daddy said, and that's how it's going to be. And yeah, you'll be open to other people's beliefs, but you're just going to probably revert back to the way it's always been done. And that's just kind of how we are, isn't it? It's just kind of how we're raised and how we're forged. Hopefully, this little conversation has got us all thinking about things that are personal to us, things that we're for, things that we're against, things that hype us up, things that burn us up. And I promise you there was a reason for all this. It's so I can ask you this question while I've, I've, I've all got us at the same place and we're all on the same train of thought. Does this personal idea describe the nature of your relationship experience and experience with God? As passionate as you can be for all sorts of things in life, as firm as you are in your convictions for so many areas of your life, does your relationship with God have similar personal roots? Now, whether it does or not, the point of today's talk is to show all of us that this, this is where God wants to take all of us in our faith. He wants us to know him in a genuine, dynamic, personal relationship. This message is the second part in a series we're calling We Believe where we're spotlighting our major beliefs as a church that we believe all the churches should have as their major beliefs, defining what Christianity is all about. Our first week was about um, what the Bible says is the main thing. And the main thing, according to the scriptures, is that God sent Jesus to die for our sins. God sent Jesus to save us from our sins. We're all sinners, yet Jesus died for all to take away all sin. This is our main agenda as a church, to proclaim the message that Jesus has died for us. We fall short of God's glory, yet Jesus touched down on earth to reach down to every sinner and to give every sinner a chance at redemption. No one is irredeemable because Jesus died for all to save all. As a church, we want to embody that message and we want to impact people with that message. That's the gospel. But I felt like in week two we needed to specify this even further. We proclaim the message of salvation that good news, uh, the good news that Jesus dies for every sinner. But it's easy for us to to, for this message to become kind of commercialized, kind of commoditized. It's easy for us to turn the gospel into a product that you would go and buy off a shelf. Like, hey, come and sign up for this. Hey, come and get your ticket. Hey, you need this to put away for later in life. And this happens, I think, from a genuine place of wanting to impact people. We want to make sure everybody is saved and ready for heaven when they die. But in the process of turning the gospel into a retail product, we failed to preach that Christianity is meant to be a personal relationship with God. Salvation isn't just a certificate. It's not just a ticket. It's not just a checkbox or an affiliation. Salvation is meant to lead us into a relationship with God that impacts us on a deeply personal level. You cannot turn Christianity into a product and still retain the relationship. You can't make faith a commodity. You can't reduce it down to a ritual or a routine and still preserve the heart of it all. So we as a church believe We believe that redemption is meant to lead us into a relationship. Can we say that together? We believe redemption is meant to lead us into a relationship. Redemption is the main thing. That's the message that we proclaim high and above everything else. But second to that and right after that and as a product of that is that we are meant to be in a relationship with God. Now, we're in the Gospel of John, and John, the writer, introduces us to the Gospel, God's plan of salvation. He tells us that God saw us in our sin, planned for ages how to fix it. He became one of us. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus came into the world, God's only Son, to see to it himself that salvation in full was given to us for the world to all the world. He didn't just come to supervise it. He didn't just come to order others around. He came to give his own life to forgive us and reconcile us and redeem us to God. He did it with his own blood, with his own skin. John the Baptist introduces us to Jesus by calling him the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Again, that was the way Jesus was introduced to the world in John 1.29. But he doesn't stop there. He goes on and tells us, uh, that, that, and what the Gospels go on to tell us as a whole, that Jesus didn't just come to take our sin away. He came to lead us into a relationship with God. He came to fill our hearts with the Holy Spirit. Notice, John says he removes sin, but then he fills us, he baptizes us with the Spirit of God, with the presence of God, with the nature of God, that we are in sin away from God, sends the obstacle, sends the deal breaker, sends the inhibitor, but he stretches his arm out on the cross to defeat sin and remove sin, and John describes it as we are washed from sin, but John said, hey, I'm just washing the outside with this little ritual he was doing. I'm just washing. In the outside, but he's gonna wash the inside, he's gonna change who you are and give you something new, make you someone new. He's gonna fill your heart with the Holy Spirit, as he says in verse number 33. He baptizes with the Holy Spirit. So, I want you to think about this John is baptizing in water to symbolize the work that God is gonna do, but think about the process of, of, of standing in water and immersing someone. Not only are, are they washed when they're dipped in the water, but they're also filled. If you dip a bucket in the water, not only is it clean, but it's filled up, right? Not only when, when you go into the water, you're not only washed, but you come up weighing a lot more, right? Because that water adds to your density. That water soaks you, right? And it adds to you. But again, in the bucket analogy, it fills it up. And the reason why you can't stay underwater for too long because eventually that water is going to fill you up, right? And it's going to you know, affect the way you live. But spiritually speaking, when we are immersed into the, the, the family of God, not only are we clean, but we're changed. Do you hear that? Not only are we forgiven, but we're transformed. And we're brought into a relationship with God. Ezekiel the prophet put it this way. God said, I will sprinkle water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness, from all the idols, I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. I'll remove the heart of stone and I will give you a heart of flesh or a real heart with the potential for a real relationship with God. Now, apparently, two of John the Baptist's disciples were with him and wanted to know more about Jesus. So John arranges a meeting, introduces them personally to Jesus. One of the disciples is the writer of the story, John, and the other is Andrew. Both of them were fishermen. Now, look down at verse 35 where John says to John and Andrew, Behold, look, there he is. There's the one I told you about. And it says they followed Jesus in verse 37. They heard him speak and they followed him. John says these two who you should unfollow me, start following Jesus because all I've done is give you a head knowledge, but he's going to change your heart. He's going to fill you with life. And this is really the core role that John the Baptist served in history. He transitions people from religion to a relationship with God. So Andrew and John start following Jesus, and they want to know more about him. They want to know where he's staying and how they can spend more time with him. And they ask him in verse 38, hey, where are you staying? Hey, where, where, you know, we want to go wherever you are. We want to be wherever you are. We want to spend as much time with you as we can. There was something almost irresistible about this proposition that John the Baptist told them about that Jesus was going to transform their hearts, and all they wanted to do was no more. They wanted to spend their time with him. All their lives, they'd followed a dead religion. They'd never made them feel any different. They didn't have anything to live for. It just bogged them down. But if Jesus really came to take away their sin and replace their sinful hearts with a new and spiritual one, they couldn't imagine anything better than that. Now, maybe that intrigues you, the idea that your life can be changed for the better, That you can be made new from the inside out. That your sin can be forgiven. Your past can be overcome. You can be reconciled to God and receive his very spirit in your heart. I I don't think anybody hears that premise of Christianity and thinks that's not intriguing, that that's not enticing. That we can be, that we're held back by sin, that we're frustrated by a nature that's weak and limited, but salvation transforms all that. The secret to tapping into all that God has for us, the secret to experiencing the fullness of God's grace is found in what seems like a very simple invitation that Jesus gives in verse 39. He says to John, he says to Andrew, come and see. Come and see. And it says that they came and they saw. And again, to us, we read that and think, well, that's just kind of, that's incidental, that's just kind of passive, but what this begins to introduce us to is that true salvation is found through a personal pursuit of Jesus. If we follow him, if we come and see for ourselves, we will know for ourselves the full nature and power of salvation. It says they came and they saw he, where he was staying and they remained there with him for that day. And it goes on, one of the two who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. And he found his own brother, Simon. And he said to Simon, we have found the Messiah. So they had no doubts. They were confident that Jesus was the Savior they had been longing for. They couldn't wait to tell more people. So they find Andrew's brother, Simon. They bring him to Jesus. And again, John kind of downplays this, but we see when Simon meets Jesus, what, is, what happens as a process of him following Jesus? Verse 42, he brought him to Jesus. And when, he, when Jesus looked at him, he said, you are Simon, the son of Jonah. You shall now be called Cephas, or we use the word Peter. So again, John kind of downplays this, but we have Andrew, John, and now Peter committing to following Jesus. He gives Peter a new name, marking that conversion as in, hey, something's different about you now. It's easy to read this and think, well, they're just hanging out. I mean, nothing big going on, but but John plays down all that they left behind. Now, the other gospels tell us that they left their fishing careers behind. They left their families behind. They left everything behind because they were so intrigued by who is this Jesus? And I think John doesn't include all those details because he wants us to ask the question, what do Andrew and John and Peter all see in Jesus? that they would literally leave everything behind and follow him and pursue him with all that they have and all that they are for the rest of their lives. What was so special about Jesus that all he had to say was come and see and they came and they saw and they never left? Again, you might read that and think, well, okay, Justin, you're trying to get me into this, but that simple invitation doesn't really do much, but you know the rest of the story, how these men literally died for Jesus. There are churches all around the world named after these men, right? St. Andrew, St. John, St. Peter, because they literally gave everything for this man and they're remembered not for being fishermen, not for being whatever they were in life, but because they followed Jesus. So what was so important about this invitation and what was so special about Jesus that they did follow him and they never were the same. Verse 43, the story continues. and the following day, Jesus wanted to go to Galilee, and he found Philip, and he said to Philip, hey, follow me. Follow me. So so what do you, if you read the Gospels, don't you see these invitations all the time? Follow me, come and see. Isn't that every time Jesus meets somebody? He doesn't, and I'm not trying to poke at our traditions, but Jesus never, ever says, well, okay, you want to be a Christian? Pray after me. He never says, repeat after me, pray this special prayer. He never says, make sure you're here every Sunday at 11. He never says, hey, you better believe these five things, confess these five things. Jesus never, ever, ever brings somebody to faith through the ways that we have reduced it down to, does he? He never holds somebody's hand and says, if you just pray this prayer, it's going to change everything. What does Jesus, every time he meets somebody, what does he do? He says, follow me. Come and see. I want y'all to know this. If you're coming to me, it's a relationship. Are all those other things important? Maybe. Does it entail those other things? Yeah. Can those other things produce following Jesus? Yes. But can you see what Jesus is getting at here? If you're going to be one of mine, if you're going to believe in me, it's a real relationship. And the reason I put real relationship is because y'all know the difference in a real relationship and one that's not really important to you, right? You, you, you have a cordial acquaintance with your doctors and your insurance agents, but you don't have relationship. You might be friends with them, but you don't have real relationships with them unless they're otherwise involved in your life, right? You have a real relationship with your family, don't you, right? And and again, your marriage is more than the vows you you, you set at an altar, right? Your marriage is more than the fact that you file taxes together. If that's all your marriage is, God help us, right? But for a lot of us, that's all of our faith. Our faith is a prayer that we prayed in a weekly visit or a couple times a year visit, right? That's not a relationship. It just isn't. And if, and if you would admit that it's not a relationship, if we're talking about your husband, your wife, your family, but why do we pretend that there's something real between us and God when we don't have a relationship with Him? There's something that we often fail to connect, isn't there? Redemption leads to a relationship. Check out this next part, verse 45. Philip found Nathanael and said, hey, Nathanael, Nathaniel, we found him of whom Moses said is in the law, and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph, we found the Messiah. And Nathanael says, can anything good come out of Nazareth? He rolls his eyes and says, okay, whatever, impress me with something better than that. Philip said, Nathanael, come and see for yourself. Come and see. So he just repeats what Jesus told him, right? Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and he said, behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. And Nathanael's thinking, well, man, why is he blowing smoke up me? me? This guy doesn't know me. What, what's and then Nathanael said to him, how do you know me? Or what are you, why are you talking to me like that? And then Jesus says, Nathanael, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Hey, Philip, Nathanael, I heard you say there could be nothing good coming out of Nazareth. I heard you. I knew I read your mind. I know your heart. And Nathaniel's thinking, what? But you're here and I was there. But you knew what I was thinking? You knew where I was? You knew what I was doing? That probably means you know who I am. You know what I am? Nathaniel first thinks Jesus is blowing smoke, but when he tells Nathaniel exactly where he was when he was dismissing him, Nathaniel realizes he's more than just a man. He's not trying to sell him on something. All these guys—John, Andrew, Philip, Peter, Nathaniel—that when, when they first, they were the first who understood who Jesus was. They placed their faith in him, and he invited them to follow him to come and see for themselves. And they all experienced firsthand what he could do for their hearts. They knew from the beginning that Jesus hadn't come to start another religion. He hadn't come to get people to sign up for something and check back in when we die. If you read the whole story, that's the message that we see on every page. But there's something else that happens in the ministry of Jesus. There's this push and pull between Jesus and the crowds who wanted to reduce him down to just a ticket, who wanted to reduce salvation down to just a ritual, to just another religion, and they even had this pipe dream idea that Jesus, you know, you could become king of Israel and you could just make sure that we all have easy lives and then we'll come to you when we die or we'll, you'll take care of us when we die. And they wanted to make Jesus their king because they believed that he, he had this ability to, to make their lives so ideal and so predictable. But, but Jesus hadn't come to earth to sit on a throne. He left a throne to come to earth, actually, to pursue us personally. So Jesus does a miracle, to typify what he came to do in contrast with what people often reduce him down to. Jesus is talking to a crowd of over five thousand, and he feeds this crowd of five thousand plus with just a lunch basket, with just a one person's lunch bag, a couple loaves of bread, a couple fish. And he says of himself, "Just as I just filled your bellies, I am heaven's bread sent to fill your hearts, to change your." lives. He says this, if you want to flip over to John 6, we'll wrap up. He says, all of us have the capacity to be passionate about any sort of things. Most of the things are temporary, incidental things. But what if we were to channel that capacity to be passionate about God, to follow after him, to pursue him with all that we are, we would be, we would then experience the true life that God has desired for us always. There are times when we see that Jesus is asking us to follow him at the expense of something else. And that's exactly what he's trying to do because he's trying to get us to see that he is our all in all, or should be. Not because he's against those things, but because he wants us to come and see what God can do in our lives. He wants us to take hold of all that God has for us. As a church, as churches, we should never, ever reduce Christianity down to just a category, just a certificate, just a service. It's so, so much more than that, it's a relationship with the God of the universe who offers to reveal as much about himself as we are willing to pursue and receive. Church, salvation isn't just an insurance policy where you, so you can go and chase after the rest of your life. It's much better than that. Come on, you're not passionate about products and policies. There's no passion in that. But there is passion in real relationships. And that's what defines us. So Jesus uses this miracle where everybody's eyes are wide open thinking, man, what else might he give us to kickstart this conversation? He even gives, if he could give us that, what else could he give us? But Jesus says that all that stuff's going to pass away. Your bellies are going to eventually get hungry again. And Jesus says, I want to give you much more than that. Church, as your pastor, it's my job. It's a pastor's job to make sure that you know that we know what we have access to in Christ. It's a pastor's job to make sure that we know what it means to be saved. As a church, we don't want anybody missing out on this. In John 6, 47 through 59, listen to how Jesus contrasts what they thought he was all about to what he was offering them. These are important verses. I encourage you to highlight them and study them deeply. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me has everlasting life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and are dead. This is the bread that comes down from heaven that one may eat of it and not die. I'm the living bread which came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I shall give is my flesh, which I shall give for the life of the world. And the Jews quarrel with him. How can this man give us his flesh to eat? And Jesus said, most assuredly, I say to you, and he kind of smirks and he leans into that, Question, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, unless you consume all that I am, you have no life in me. Whoever eats my flesh, drinks my blood, has eternal life. I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is food indeed, my blood is drink indeed. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I am. So Jesus said, if you want to follow me, if you want to know who I am, it's a relationship where I and my spirit is within you. And you are changed from the inside out. You are literally consuming what I'm offering you as if it is sustenance, because it is spiritual life. He says, as the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father, so he who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread which came down from heaven, not as your fathers ate the manna and are dead. He who eats this bread will live forever. And I love that verse 59 is on this. He taught these things, these things he said in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. I love that these are things that he said in a house of worship because he's wanting us to realize that our relationship with God isn't just contained and confined to places like these. He wants us to understand that salvation is a deeply personal relationship. He goes on to detail how God is our heavenly father, how we have a relationship with him just like Jesus put on display. So I hope that our time today has caused us all to evaluate the nature of our relationship with God. And is it as he describes in this passage? Is it like Andrew and John in the original disciples' experience where they were following him day after day after day in which they came and saw, in which we come and see what God has done and can do in our lives? Listen, I'm not trying to make anybody doubt their salvation. But if your salvation is not rooted in a relationship with God, you should wonder, you should ask yourself the question, are we as close to God as we can be? Has our redemption led to a relationship? Because a lot of us, we might still be stuck in that first first place. We believe, but there's no relationship. Our sin has been removed, but there hasn't been a feeling, there hasn't been a change, there hasn't been that follow through. Over in John 8, Jesus says, if you abide in me, you are truly my disciples. John 8, 31. He says, if you abide in my word, You are my disciples indeed. You'll notice this. Jesus is always trying to push his disciples into this relationship. He always was trying to say, hey, if you really believe in me, if you really believe in me, you are abiding in me and you are growing in me. He was always trying to get them to understand the nature of their salvation. I think the same was true for them. That's true for us. So many many people underestimate what Christianity offers them, what relationship with God can be all about. If we are following Jesus, if we are consuming all that he has for us, if we are abiding with him, then we have a distinct kind of life. We're set free from the way that we used to live. We're given a new life indeed. Don't you see how he's urging us along to take hold of something more than we often settle for? I guess it really brings us to this question. Has believing in Jesus changed your life? Has believing in Jesus made a personal impact on you? Has it filled your life with new and better desires than what you could otherwise have? Has it filled your life with new and better passions than what you could otherwise have? Has it filled your life and changed your life with new and better practices and habits and behaviors? Has following Jesus, has believing in Jesus filled your life with new and better opportunities? Listen, this is the litmus test. That if we believe in Jesus... We should ask ourselves, hey, is, is, are these things being produced in our lives? And if these things are not being produced in our lives, Jesus isn't imperfect. He's not the problem, right? And it's not that we have got something wrong with us. Obviously, we're sinners. But if Jesus can handle our sin, then all we got to do is follow him and pursue him, and he'll take care of the rest. But it comes down to a choice that we make. Now, if your answer to these questions is, Huh? I hope this message has made it clear what has been made available to you. But if your answer is no, I hope that you know you don't have to settle for less anymore. You don't have to turn back to the way you used to live. One last story and we're done. In John 9, there's a famous story where Jesus heals a blind man. But it causes this big turmoil because he does things against the traditions of the religious people. And he, the way he performed this miracle, he essentially took this blind man by the hand. He led this man to a fountain in the center of town. And the blind man, okay, again, he's blind, so he doesn't know what's going on. So Jesus puts mud in this guy's eyes, and he takes this guy and he dunks his head in the fountain. And as the man's coming back up and he can see, Jesus flees the scene. It's kind of, kind of unfortunate for the guy because the guy's like, Where, Where's he at? And they're like, Where's who at? Jesus was here. Who? Jesus, the carpenter, the guy that everybody says is a crazy man. He put mud in my eyes. He dunked me in the water, and now I can see. And then people said, is this guy just putting on? And they went and found the guy's parents. Hey, is this, was he blind? Yeah, he was blind, but he's not blind anymore. And they're like, hey, what color of shirt am I wearing, and what do I look like? And he told them, and they're like, he's not blind anymore. He's been blind since he was born. And everybody's going crazy because everybody starts realizing. Well, yeah, we know that guy. We went to school with him. He went to our synagogue. We know that guy. He's been blind since he was a kid. He's thirty-something years old. He's not blind anymore. And they go to this guy and they say, "Hey, hey, how did you get? To, how did your sight come back?" And he said, "Hey, well, there's this guy named Jesus who y'all talk about all the time in a bad way. He put mud in my eyes, dunked my head in the water, and then he, when I came out of the water, he was gone." And they say, whoa, 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 Jesus. Jesus couldn't have done this. Jesus is a hypocrite. Jesus is heretical. He's not a real, He's not according to our traditions. He doesn't do things the way he should do things. Jesus couldn't have healed you. God may have healed you, but but he didn't do it through Jesus. And the blind man famously says in John 9, verse 25 whether he is a sinner or not, I do not know. One thing I know. I was blind and now I see. Isn't that incredible? The blind man who literally didn't see anything happen says, I don't care what y'all say about Jesus. What I know is that I couldn't see and then I met him and now I can see. It was unexplainable, but he didn't care because his experience with God was undeniable. It was personal.
1: The reason why you
0: will never eat a cake that's not baked the way your mama made it is because it's personal to you, right? The reason why you are so strong about your work ethic and political views is because it's personal to you, right? This blind man, it was personal to him. Everybody we've seen the impact that, that followed Jesus, it was personal to them. Do you know what Jesus prayed over the Pharisees that argued with him? Jesus prayed that they might would realize how blind they are so they might actually be transformed in the same way, blind spiritually. A lot of us have never understood how dead we are outside of Christ, how lost we are, how empty we are, how deceived we are, that we might would run to Jesus and take hold of the better life that he gives us. Church, this is what God is offering us today. Not only redemption, but a real relationship. We don't just believe that Jesus forgives our sin, we believe he transforms our lives. Salvation means redemption leads to a personal relationship with Jesus. The question that you you must consider today, do you have one? Do you have one? I don't care what you did when you were a kid. I don't care all the stuff that you, I don't care how many traditions that you might this might undo. Do you have a personal relationship with Jesus? do you want one? If you don't have one, I don't know why you wouldn't want one because we've seen how incredible he is in our lives. If you don't have a relationship with Jesus, his invitation to you, his invitation to me, his invitation to all of us is come and see. Come and receive. Fix your eyes on me and you'll never be disappointed again. That's the invitation that he's given us today. And we're gonna have an invitation, we're gonna close with a song that speaks of the relationship we have with God, how he is our father, we are his children, how we can be in a relationship with him that changes our lives. Church, I want everybody to search their heart. And if you, are, if you can say that you are not in a relationship with God, I pray that you don't leave here without coming and seeing for yourself by putting your faith in God and saying, Jesus, I'm following you. I'm following you every day of my life and I'm gonna see what you can do in my life. I hear you, I, I believe in you, and I'm following you. I believe that you did this for me and I wanna be a part of the family you've invited me into. If you're a Christian and you, you confess that you haven't followed him like you should and you're not in a relationship with him like you should, maybe today's the day that you renew that and that you restart that relationship and rebuild that relationship because any relationship can get a little bit ignored, can it? Maybe today's the day you stand up and say, you know what, I, I, I've ignored it too long. I want a real relationship with my Heavenly Father. I'm not going to take my eyes off Jesus again. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this invitation you've given us. Lord, thank you that it is a real relationship. It's not religion, it's not superstitious, and it's not rituals and routines. And God, all those things help us. I'm thankful that we can meet once a week, three times a week. I'm thankful for these songs that we sing and these services that we have. I'm thankful for all these things that prop up and help support what we believe. But God, that's not what we believe. That's not the foundation. The foundation is that Jesus died for our sins to forgive us and replace that sin with something greater, to give us a spirit in our hearts, to give us a new heart, to fill our lives with change and transformation, to make us one with you, and to put you in our hearts. Lord, as you invited John and Andrew and Peter and Philip and Nathaniel, as you, as you invited this blind man to come and see, Lord, you invite us. And Lord, just like the blind man uh, t- shows us, he experienced for himself, and that's an experience that everybody here can have as well, if they will just pursue Jesus. Lord, I pray that we would understand what Jesus meant when he said that you should feed on me and consume all that I have. Put all your faith in me, that I might put all of my life in you. Lord, as we sing to you, as we have this invitation, I pray that everybody would answer that question. Do I have a relationship with God? And if they want one, I pray they would come and receive. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.